Feeling better? Looking better. Making life better. It's Life Tips. Life Tips. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Life Tips. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Welcome your hosts, Byron White and Amanda Smith. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I've been out for a little while. Amanda, how are you? I'm good. What's going on? It's almost Christmas, Byron. Happy, happy, ho, ho, Yay. ho. <laughs> uh, are those fireworks, or did Santa get stuck in I a think chimney it's applause. there? I, didn't I think quite it's a get round that. of applause at the holiday spirit. Ah, that's fun. That's fun. Leave it to George. <laughs> Leave it to George. <laughs> there we are again. Yes, we're live in the studio. There are 100 peoples all around us here. So. <laughs> As usual, you know. Um, we had a birthday for one of our colleagues today. Mm-hmm. Sean yep, Curley, one of our Sean, one of our, one of our favorite here. sales reps. Happy birthday to Sean over the air, everyone. Now, um, Byron, we have a, a really cool guest on today, and we're going to be talking about maybe something to a little less holiday-related, but still interesting and still a hot topic. We're going to be talking about the impending bailout for the auto industry and you know what it means to us, what it means to consumers, what it's going to mean for the economy. So we have an expert on from Autoblock today who's going to be telling us all about it. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to that. Do you have a quick take on on uh, on the bailout yourself right now, so we can find any flaws in your logic as we continue through the show here? Should well, we, you know, should initially, we write I mean, the you check wanna, and bail you them out? Attack these big, big fat executives who are just you know hemorrhaging money. But you know, I was in Florida a couple weeks ago for Thanksgiving, and I actually met a guy who is on a pension plan from Ford. And he was like, you know, you forget about all these people who are who are here on pension and really need those pensions. It's not fair to punish those people. So I'm, I'm sort of caught at a crossroads here. Mm. And how do you think it ties in with the commitment for for uh, for the green movement, if you will? Um, do you think it's a good opportunity to to sort of, you know, uh, put 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 the put the nail in the in the chunk of wood that says, hey, we need a commitment. 100% hybrid in three years, or we're not going to write a check and give you any money. Any Absolutely. It's it's just like our show last week. It ties in perfectly. This is a golden opportunity. They should start making some serious environmental demands of these car companies and say, you know, do this or no money for you. So back in just a few minutes, everyone, with our guest today, Sam Elbosamad. Did I pronounce that right? I don't know. We'll find out when we're back from the break. We'll be back in, <laughs> we'll be back in just a minute, everyone. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan from the Daily Searchcast. You know, we love bringing you the news every day, and that's made possible by the sponsorship of BruceClay.com. They've just made Inc. Magazine's list of the fastest-growing private businesses. They've exhibited and sponsored at my conferences from the very beginning. Bruce has got that long-standing search engine relationship chart, had been out there with the code of ethics, been a search engine expert in the field for ages. But did you know that Bruce Clay can do more than help you with just SEO? They can do PPC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding. Everything you need for success in the online marketplace, you can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years, offices worldwide, they've got answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Bruce Clay Incorporated. Hey, what's that sound coming from your computer? That's the sound of me making money with ReferBack.com. They've shown me how to... 
Referback.com showed me how to turn clicks on my existing site into cash. Referback gives you free banners, mailers, even your own personal account manager. Oh, can they help me make money off my blog too? Absolutely. Your websites, your blogs, they can all be making you money. You can even earn 50% commission on your first month. Put some into your website. Just visit Referback.com. Susan, you're still responsible for digital marketing programs, right? Right. So your team is responsible for email marketing, web analytics, PPC campaign optimization, and scheduling? Your point? Why are you so relaxed? My team deals with five different solutions, tech support teams, and just as many invoices, and it's making us mental. What is it? Aromatherapy? Acupuncture? Why are you so relaxed? You just have to simplify your tool set and unify your team. Lyris provides totally integrated email marketing, web analytics, PPC campaign management, and calendaring functionality. It's all in one spot that provides a holistic view of all your team's efforts. And you get all of this functionality for $299 a month. So with Lyris, one company can do it all. I feel like I can cancel that acupuncture appointment already. To see how Lyris can simplify your life, visit Lyris.com or call 1-888-GO-LYRIS. Simplify, unify, and increase ROI with Lyris today. Market Edge with Larry Weber, Tuesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, and on demand inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back, everyone, with uh, our guest today, Sam Abulsamad. Sam, welcome. Hi, how are you doing today? How'd I do on the pronunciation? That was just fine. Yeah. You're lucky me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my birthday. You're, you're, you're the technical editor uh, for several green websites, including uh, Green Fuels Forecast, Diesel Forecast, Hydrogen Forecast, a lot of forecasting going on. Tell us a little bit about some of your sites, what your role and goal is, and then before we ask you the tough questions about your take on the whole auto- automobile industry bailout. Well, the, the, the three forecast sites, green fuel, diesel, and hydrogen forecast, um, are, are all focused on uh, various uh, alternative fuels uh, areas, looking at, at the fuels, the technology, um, you know, the, the vehicles that are using those types of fuels. Uh, we write about those and, and talk about what's, what's going on in those areas. And then I also write for, uh, for Autoblog and Autoblog Green, um, which are you know, Autoblog's more of a general interest automotive news site, and Autoblog Green, uh, obviously, again, is more, more focused on alternative fuel vehicles. Got it. And, and what's your quick forecast in all of your <laughs> research and diagnostic? Um, you know, what's the state of the union with, with some of these, these niches that you're focusing on with regards to alternative um, well, there's, there's definitely a lot of progress being made on the technology. Um, you know, a lot of progress being made on batteries, um, fuel cells, bio, advanced next generation biofuels, um, clean diesel engines. Uh, you know, all, all those things are making huge advances. Uh, the the problem that you know everything uh, is facing right now, though, is the, the general economic situation we've got. You know, because every single one of those technologies adds a lot of cost to a vehicle. And right now, you know, especially over the last three months since uh, Wall Street basically took a dump, uh, nobody's buying anything, even conventional vehicles. You know, even, even sales, you know, in November, uh, last, November last month, uh, sales of the, uh, the Toyota Prius 
dropped by 50% compared to last year because nobody is buying anything. And it's not just Detroit. It's everybody is suffering right now. Well, is there any... Uh, so it's going to be tough to find any good news here, but but let's just take a quick survey, if you could, about the current structure of the automobile industry, its dependence on the union and labor and and the battles that have gone on and what, in my mind, is an archaic system of, you know, you have to pay me this because the union says you have to, and if you don't, we'll all go on strike and and, you know, just the the profiteering going on, both from the union's perspective as well as corporate management's perspective. Isn't it time to rethink the whole automobile industry? You know, much like microbreweries are making us rethink the, the, the beer industry, which I think is a pretty good analogy here, actually. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, uh, to, to some degree it's a, it's a little bit unfair to just uh, blame unions and, and management for, for all of this because the, the reality of the situation, you know, if you look at, uh, if you get past, you know, some of the headline numbers like the, the $70 plus an hour that, uh, they, that uh, the Detroit automakers pay out um, to, to workers or supposedly pay out, you know, and look at, you know, what, what they're actually getting paid in terms of wages and benefits, uh, the difference between what Detroit, the, the the people working for GM, Ford, and Chrysler make compared to what workers working for Toyota, Honda, and Nissan in the United States make is actually only a few dollars. Where the big difference comes in is in terms of legacy costs. Um, all these men, you know, all the, the the manufacturers, the unions, you know, over the course of the last half century, uh, you know, they negotiated uh, things like pension plans. Healthcare for retirees. So, you know, once once retirees, uh, once people retire after working 30, 35, 40 years in the factory, you know, they get healthcare from the manufacturer. They get a pension. Uh, you know, it gets paid into while they were working. You know, and you know, the problem is when all that stuff was negotiated, half a, you know, 40, 50 years ago, most of these guys, you know, they would retire at 65, and more often than not, they didn't live more than two, three, four years. Beyond that, anyway, you know the problem is over the last you know several decades, people have been living longer, and all of a sudden, you know the cost of providing health care for these people has skyrocketed because well, you've got you know the cost of health care skyrocketed for everybody, but also you know the fact that they've got to do it for many many more years now, and that that difference that seventy dollars an hour, thirty dollars of that, almost thirty dollars of that is just to pay for retiree benefits the health care, the pensions, and so on, that the, the, the Japanese manufacturers who have only been doing business here in the States for 15, 20 years, who have relatively few retirees, they haven't had to deal with those issues yet. Although, if you look at their numbers over the last 10 years, as they've started to get some retirees, those numbers are starting to climb, and eventually they're going to be hit by the same problem. And that's, that's an area that really needs to be attacked that nobody in Congress is, wants to talk about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there, what's your prediction in your mind right now based upon all the data that you've, that you're, I'm sure you're studying pretty closely and your, and your comrades are as well. Do you think we're going to see a bailout? Do you think there's going to be any, any interesting restrictions on it? Do you think a bailout is a good thing? I mean, what, what's, what's your take on it? Uh, I think, I think something needs to be done because, you know, uh, what, what, if you look at what the, what the manufacturers have been doing over the last two, three years, they have made huge strides in terms of um, changing their product lineup. But you know, the other thing that most people don't 
most people who aren't who don't work in the auto industry don't realize is the lead times involved in this industry. You know, you don't whip out a new car in six months or a year. It takes three, four years to develop a new car uh, from scratch. And, you know, uh, so what's happened is starting about 2005, 2006, 2007, you know, the, the car makers saw where fuel prices were going. And they started making their future product plans based on gas prices of 3 4 $5 a gallon. And so if you look at their product plans for what's coming out in the 2010-2011 time frame, they're all much smaller, more fuel-efficient vehicles. And, uh, you know, so, but the problem is it takes time to get there. And so they've been, they've been working on those vehicles. They're coming, and there's going to be this huge, well, there's supposed to be this huge flurry of vehicles coming, really starting around the end of 2009. Uh, the problem is they suddenly got hit, they hit this huge pothole with economic collapse uh, on Wall Street, and all of a sudden, you know, the combination of gas prices going to $4 a gallon last summer and then the economic collapse means that everybody lost confidence. Nobody's buying any cars. If, if we hadn't had this issue over the last three months with Wall Street and people were still buying cars, then the car makers would have enough cash flow to get them through to the end of next year so they could get these new products on the market. But now they don't. Their sales have dropped over the last year from an annual rate of 17 million units, nearly 17 million units, down to they're now predicting it's going to be about a little less than 13 for 2008. Mm-hmm. It may be as low as 9.5 million in 2009 unless the economy really picks up, and everybody is getting hammered by that. And so something needs to be done uh, in a number of ways. You know, I think you know, the, the car makers need some financing to get them through the next year, but also uh, need to do something about the general economy in order to get people buying cars again. Hmm. And, well, buying everything, really, not just cars, but, you know, the, you know re- everything is in trouble right now, every business in this country. Now, why are we so far behind our Japanese counterparts with regard to advances in technology, advances in fuel efficiency? I mean, they're making smaller, better cars think, than we are. We're think, still creating these giant I don't, gas I don't think chuggers. we are that far behind. I mean, if you look at most of the, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, at the smaller end of the market, cars like the Ford Focus and the Chevy Cobalt, those cars are just as fuel efficient, if not more so, than competitors like the Honda Civic and Toyota Corolla. You know, so they're not. You know, the problem that they've, that, you know, the problem has been the U.S. market. You know, U.S. consumers for the last decade have had this fascination with big trucks and SUVs. And all those, you know, those fuel efficient cars like the Cobalt and the Focus have been on the market for the last decade, but Americans haven't been buying them. They've been buying big, expensive trucks, or big, fuel-thirsty uh, fuel trucks. Mm-hmm. You know, and the reason for that is because gas was cheap. And unless fuel prices stay high, you know, people didn't start buying Focuses and Cobalts this year until gas went to three fifty, four dollars $4 a gallon. Mm-hmm. As soon as that happened, people jumped into small cars. But then, you know, a few months later, you had this economic collapse, and they stopped buying everything. You know, so the, the, this whole thing about, you know, the Japanese being so far ahead, I, I really don't think it's a valid point. You know, and, and over the last couple of years, the last few years especially, you know, Toyota, for example, has, and, and Nissan have jumped, or tried to jump, 
whole hog into the full-size truck market to compete with with the Detroit automakers. And what's happened there is they didn't have as good a product as Detroit, and they weren't able to sell. The only reason that that their average, their fuel economy average was higher um, was because they, they weren't able to actually compete in those big truck markets and sell those vehicles uh, that were competitive. You know, if you look at, you know, segment by segment, the the Detroit automakers are fully competitive with the Japanese automakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam, what's, what, what, what do you think the, the success would be with... Uh, or what do you think the existing success is with what I would call sort of this micro-brew, this, this micro-car manufacturing industry in the United States? Um, uh, I'm not quite sure what you're asking there. I mean, do you, do you think that, are you, are you saying, you know, would, uh, would small car, like smaller car manufacturers be able to succeed? Yeah, and, and, and begin, that's, you know, developing that, that's interest. That's a really hard thing to do because... You know, one one of the issues we've got in this country is there, the auto the auto industry is the most heavily regulated industry in the world. Nothing is more regulated than the car business, um, and it costs a tremendous amount of money to develop a car and go through all the certification processes required to actually put it on the road in this country. You know, between uh, safety regulations, emissions regulations, everything else, it's hugely expensive. I mean, look at Tesla Motors as an example. Okay, these guys started in 2003, and, you know, they've spent somewhere probably close to $200 million already, uh, somewhere between 150 and $200 million to get their first 100 cars on the road. And, you know, that's an electric car for the, the Tesla Roadster. So they didn't have to deal with uh, emissions certification because there are no emissions, but they had to go through all the safety regulations. And... Even that, they were able to short-circuit some of that because their car is based on, in part on the architecture of an existing car, the Lotus Elise. You know, so you know, they, they didn't have to design completely from scratch for that car. You know, starting a car company from scratch is an enormously difficult proposition, and I really don't think it's a practical one. Um, for, you know, it's, it's hard to start a car company. It's not like it's not like you know, getting some vats and you know starting to brew some beer. That's a totally different ball of wax. It's not not even a valid comparison. I don't think. Byron, maybe we should start a car company. <laughs> I don't luck. think Sam would write any articles about our company. He doesn't. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's, that's not true at all. I mean, I write articles about startups all the time. In fact, I'm working on right now. Um, but you know. It also got to keep in mind that, you know, it's, like I said, it's, I, mean, I, I worked in the industry before I started writing. I worked as an engineer for 17 years, and, you know, so I know what's involved. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've watched these startups, you know, try to get going and, and struggle. I mean, companies like Phoenix Motors in California mm-hmm. with their, their electric uh, yeah, right. truck, uh, mm-hmm. Tesla, uh, Zap, you know, and many, many others, you know, that more, far more often than not, you know, they they don't succeed because, like I said, it's, it's an enormously capital-intensive business, um, and there's a lot of regulations that everybody has to deal with. Now, you know, if people are willing to set aside some of those regulations, I mean, one, one of the ways that some of these startups have tried to get around it, uh, some of the electric vehicle startups, is by building three-wheeled vehicles because 
three-wheelers are classed as motorcycles, and so they're not subject to the same uh, crash standards as cars. Um, and, you know, that's, that's fine as long as you're aware of it. But, you know, the problem is, you know, you put a bot just because you put a body on this thing, people look at it and think, oh, it must be a car, so it must be as safe as that Honda Civic or that Ford Focus, and it's not. You know, I mean, you crash that thing into a wall, and you're going to have a big problem. Um, whereas, you know, in a, a Focus or a, a Civic, it's a completely different story. Mm-hmm. So, in as, as we begin to wrap up the show here today, this is a complicated issue. Um, do you have any thoughts on, you know, optimism? <laughs> Anything positive that you see coming out of the current discussions going on uh, that would lead us to believe that, you know, the whole economy isn't going to be dragged down by the automobile industry, and, and what is the correlation you see there as well? Well, you know, I think if, if, we, if we let the auto industry go down, you know, if you let the Detroit industry go down, it's going to drag down, um, you know, the, the foreign automakers with it as well. It's going to drag down a lot of other industries because, you know, the thing you have to remember is... Um, you know, for every employee working directly for an automaker, there's another four or five people working for suppliers to those uh, companies. And then on top of that, you've got all the small businesses in the areas of these factories that are dependent on the, the revenues that they get from people who work in those factories, you know, restaurants and stores and whatever. Um, so, you know, there's a big cascading effect. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I think definitely needs to be done if we really want to make a dent and fuel consumption is we have to stop pushing for lower fuel prices. Fuel prices need to be higher. You know, when the time when we actually started to make a dent in fuel consumption in this country was when gas went to three, four dollars a gallon. And I think it needs to be at least at those levels. The problem is politicians in this country are totally unwilling to even consider a fuel tax that would set a minimum level for gas prices or fuel prices. You know, fuel prices. I, th- I personally believe need to be taxed up to a, a minimum level so that, you know, when you have a situation like right now where the price of oil has dropped down into the, the $35 barrel range and gas is right now around here, you know, it's about $1.60 a gallon. It, you know, we had a perfect opportunity this summer when gas was at 4 bucks a gallon to, to set a floor level, and when the price drops below that, you know, just tax it up to that level and maintain it there because at that level, then... People stay out of the trucks. They buy more efficient vehicles. And I think that's, you know, that's what needs to be done. Then you, you do that, that drives the demand for hybrids and smaller, more efficient vehicles and electric vehicles. Uh, you, you've got to keep that fuel price up. It's as simple as that. Because just mandating building those vehicles won't help you unless there's a demand for those vehicles. And, you know, I mean, right now we've got a situation where even if there was a demand for those vehicles, People can't afford them. They can't get loans. So, you know, you've got to address, address the overall economic situation. Hmm. By implementing a tax on gasoline to potentially help fund the bailout, wouldn't that begin to put pressure on the major automobile manufacturers to create, develop hybrids and uh, all work as a team to use less they're, fuel? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're already doing that. They're, they're developing those vehicles. You know, but the, the problem is there needs to be a demand for those vehicles from the consumer side as well. And, you know, the, 
the tax, you know, I see, I see the revenues from those taxes being used in two ways. One, you know, in part, you know, for, for a bailout, but also, um, you know, to, as a way to, you know, uh, to maybe reduce um, taxes on lower and middle income people, you know, give them some money back in their pocket so they can afford to go out and buy a car. Because right now, they can't afford to do that. You know, those cars are going to be more expensive. There's no way around that. You know, you add an electric motor and a battery to a car, it's going to be more expensive. You cannot get around that in any way. So you have to help the consumers be able to afford those cars as well. And, you know, lowering tax, lowering income taxes and, and doing something about um, payroll taxes, um, you know, giving a, more of an exemption to lower-income people for payroll taxes uh, would help there as well. I can't help but suggest that, um, you know, there is a lot to be excited about in the automobile industry. Um, electric oh, vehicles, That's you know, the, the whole uh, the lithium-ion battery, you know, concept, um, alternative energy fuels. Um, I do love the micro-automobile, you know, concept. I, I'd love to see more Teslas, you know, sprouting up in a variety of places. The number of, you know, empty shells of vehicles sitting in junkyards and or, you know, uh, opportunities to take something that's already been manufactured and replace it with, with, with a new type of engine is fascinating. Um, the, the creativity that could go into this industry is, is fascinating. You know, there are designers and developers and project manufacturers. I'm an optimist, as you can tell, Sam, but mm-hmm. and I, I do think that we're going to, that it would make sense. My, my final question for you, because you're, you're really in the heartbeat of the, the pessimistic stuff. I'm going to remain optimistic, but, but my question is, would call it con- consolidation of, of, of a couple of these major manufacturers make some sense to you? Um, yeah, I think it would. Um, you know, uh, maybe of all three. Right, I mean, right now there's there's certainly um, far more manufacturing capacity uh, than there is um, demand for vehicles yeah. in this country. Uh, right. You know, so I mean, plants are being closed all over the place, regardless of what happens. Um, and you know, that's going to remain the case for the for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, potentially consolidation or you know maybe uh, a gradual closing down of at least one of the manufacturers would probably be a good thing. Mm-hmm. And possibly be something that could help support the other two survivors, if you will. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, you get rid of a third of the inventory slash, you know, yeah. incentive but, to you buy. Know, the thing you, the thing you got to remember, I mean, that's, that's not a simple process because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of um, interconnects between all the manufacturers, the domestics and the, the transplants, yeah. um, you know, because they all use the same suppliers. You know, so if you if you take away, you know, one of the manufacturers, you know, uh, then you know there are suppliers that are also going to end up going out of business, and that's going to affect the other manufacturers. So it's not you like, to like see- you can just shut these guys down overnight. You yeah. Know, Who would you like to see survive? Controlled manner. Who would you like to see rise to the top? Well, among among the Detroit automakers right now, you know, I think uh, Ford and General Motors by far have the strongest um, current and future product lineups. Um, you know, Chrysler has been very reluctant to show what they've got coming in the future because I'm not sure that they have a whole lot coming. 
Uh, Cerberus doesn't seem to have invested a great deal of money in product development, or at least there's not much evidence of it. Uh, but you know, I've seen what Ford has coming. I've seen what General Motors has coming. And there's a lot of really strong products coming in the next 12 to 18 months. And as far as cash positions and like in marketability, you know a lot about the marketing channels of those three companies. Um, you know, for example, at, at, on the show floor, you know, the big auto show every year, who really knows how to do it? Who, who, who are the expert marketers of automobiles? And, and that even extends down into training of sales reps. And, you know, who, who are the best marketers amongst those three? Um, again, I would say, you know, it's probably, you know, the same two, General Motors and, and Ford um, are probably, are certainly the stronger of the, of the three, I think. I think Chrysler is, is the weakest. I mean, Chrysler does have some strong points. You know, they have uh, high manufacturing efficiency, um, you know, and, you know, their vehicles tend to be put together fairly well, but, you know, unfortunately, they, you know, the materials they sometimes use are, you know, look, look cheap, and, you know, their, their designs of, of late have not been um, particularly enthralling to consumers. Uh, you know, I mean, I think they certainly have the potential to, to succeed, but you know, and right now in the current environment, the current uh, economic environment, I'm not sure that they can. Hmm. Here, one really interesting question is more practical. Um, so, uh, one of my uh, my I drive a Lincoln Navigator, a nice gas guzzler, huh? <laughs> and um, <laughs> my local dealership uh, uh, closed, and um, and, a, and a, a Nissan, you know, actually actually a Jeep. Um, a dealership uh, opened up there, um, and um, tell me about me about uh, mechanics. So I just stupidly drove into the Jeep dealership thinking it was the you know Lincoln Navigator dealership because the name didn't change, just the type of cars that they sell changed. And uh-huh. you know they fixed my car and everything was fine, and there was you know. But how does this affect mechanics? If one of these, you know, are there special? training programs for these major automobile manufacturers or is is mechanical engineering now something that's fairly universal and the, and the computers used to tap into the brain the computer within it within a car are they is that fairly regulated in the it's sense that anybody a, can work a bit yeah. of both. you know i mean the uh, the engine the, the the electronic control systems in cars now are able to detect um, most of what goes wrong in the vehicle and you know mechanics can or technicians as as they're more properly called now you know are able to tap in with with diagnostic tools and read the fault codes and see what the problem is mm-hmm. um and that you know that works pretty much the same now for all manufacturers i mean they all use the same basic processes you know where things get more complex um is you know when it comes to actually doing the repair and, you know, there, you know, with modern cars, again, you know, things are far more complex than they used to be. And so it does take quite a bit of, of very specialized training, you know, on specific vehicles, you know, to, to understand um, how, to, uh, how to replace certain components. And, you know, when you start talking about hybrids, then, you know, things go up by an order of magnitude. It becomes even more complicated because you have a great deal more mechanical complexity there in a hybrid than you do in a conventional car. And, again, you know, the levels of training required are even more so. And, you know, one of the things that's going to happen, um, that's bound to happen, you know, in the, in the coming years 
you know, one of one of the problems that the Detroit manufacturers in particular have is they have too many dealers. Uh, you know, compared to the number of dealers that the Japanese and Korean and German brands have, um, they just have way too many dealers for the number of cars they sell. Unfortunately, state franchise laws, um, for, you know, basically make it almost impossible for car makers to to call dealers from their network unless those dealers decide that they want to shut down. And, you know, that's that's one of the big problems they have. Um, but, you know, dealers are going to have to go away. Um, they're going to have to reduce the number of dealers. And so, you know, the technicians are going to have to, you know, I mean, you know, you're still going to need technicians to do the service, but, you know, they're going to be working in different places. I think they're going to end up working for independent shops, you know, or working for, um, other larger dealers that, that sell and service more vehicles. Hmm. Mandy, any yeah. insight here? No, any I mean, questions? I'm still on the fence about the whole issue. It, you know, I, I want to I wanna see some major changes in the auto industry. I'm sick of us stagnating, and, you know, I mean, I, I just feel like this, this is a golden opportunity here. I just, you know, I also don't want to see all these people who've worked so hard for these pensions fall by the wayside while we're trying to, you know, figure things out. So... I don't know. I think it's well, a big one. I, I, I totally agree with you. It is a golden opportunity. And, you know, the, the problem is, you know, that, uh, like I said, people who haven't been involved directly in the industry are, are not aware of the, the amount of lead time it takes to develop and get a vehicle into production. Um, you know, and the types of vehicles that you're talking about are and have been in development for the last several years, and they're coming to market over the, you know, over the course of the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of new hybrids coming. There's, a, you know, electric vehicles coming. There's all kinds of vehicles coming, you know, and just generally, you know, smaller, more efficient cars. Um, but, Any big you know, ass SUVs it's, it's coming? It's not something that can happen overnight. Any big SUVs coming that are hybrid, more hybrid? I know the Chevy Tahoe is a nice product out. Uh, but any, uh, I think any... that's probably going to be the last of the line for that type. Um, you know, GM um, pretty much... You know, they they put on hold development of the next generation Tahoe and Yukon, um, and uh, I, I suspect that it, you know it'll probably that that vehicle will transform into a smaller, lighter vehicle. Uh, I don't think we'll ever see another generation like the current ones that we have today. Um, Chrysler has already uh, canceled the Dakota, the Durango and Aspen uh, SUVs, and uh, Ford I think has put on hold. The, their next generation of full-size SUVs. You know, they're migrating to smaller, lighter crossover vehicles. Is this because they're finding that they're not really as green as they could be at the end of the day, that they're still chugging a lot of gas, yeah, I mean, they're still using a lot of energy? Yeah. yeah. I mean, basically the, the market for those type of vehicles that have been selling for the last 10 years has essentially dried up, and nobody really believes that it's ever going to come back. Right. And so they, you know, they're transforming. But you know, like I said, it, just take, it takes time. I mean, the, the ones that are there now will continue to be sold for, you know, the next three or four years, and if and when they are replaced, they'll be replaced with smaller, lighter vehicles. What are you seeing? Price erosions, and even like in the the, the, the high end, you know, Porsche Porsche 911s and Carreras, and you know, is every are just is it crazy on all ends of the automobile industry now? Oh yeah, I mean, everybody is getting hammered right now. Uh, even you know, Ferrari, for example, you know, that has traditionally, you know, been more or less immune to um, whatever goes on in the general economy. You know, they've consistently sold, you know, 600 cars a year worldwide. 
you know, for many, many years. Uh, last month, apparently, only sold 92 cars. Hmm. You know, so, you know, everybody, you know, um, Bentley sales are down 30, 30 plus percent this year. Everybody's getting hammered. There, no one, no one is immune. How, any stats off the top of your head on, on Porsche? Uh, yeah, Porsche was down in November, I believe, about 40% uh, on their November sales. I'm not mistaken. Hmm. That's it. Time to pull all the money out of savings and buy a 911, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it could be. <laughs> the dream car, of course, you can't afford the gas to go into it after you buy the car. You can, but... right, you can right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you can't afford anything after you buy the car. Right, right now in Texas, the uh, price of gas this week is like a dollar twenty-five a gallon. Yeah, you will be the only guest we will have on our show that will want the gas prices to go back for four dollars a gallon. Just so you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but you know, I, I tend to be the contrarian. So. Well, Sam, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Really keen insight on the, on the industry and. Uh, Appreciate you giving it to us hard and fast from your perspective. Mm-hmm. Oh, my pleasure. Not a problem. Uh, so keep up the great work in, in, uh, in everything you're doing. I was reading a few of your articles and the coverage you have. Really, uh, how, many, how many articles are you tending to pump out a day? Um, plenty. How many? Lots. Uh, quite a few. Let's just leave it at that. Wow. That's incredible. Well, thanks again for being on the show today. No problem. My pleasure. Great. Amanda, you okay? Do you have a... I'm here. I'm processing. I'm still on the fence, though. Yeah. Complicated ideas. A lot of... Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, you know, you can just sort of sense everyone in the automobile industry is frustrated and angry, and I think Sam did a great job of displaying that, you know, to all of us. I mean, it's a tough time to be in the automobile industry. It is. And, you know, this helped me understand a little bit better why things haven't moved along as smoothly as as an outsider would assume they would have. Mm. Well, have a safe travel, everyone, as you're driving around over the holidays, anyone that's listening in. Uh, and until our next show, which is probably after the holidays. It is in 2009, Byron. Wow. Hope you ha- your life is and your car driving is a little smarter, <laughs> better, f- f- way faster, and even more dedicated to being green in the coming year. Right on, everyone. Selling the Navigator, buying a Hyundai. Yep. Made of aluminum and electric batteries. Until next, uh, <laughs> until two thousand and nine, everybody. Have a great uh, rest of the year. Happy and safe holidays, George. Webmaster Radio folks, everyone over there. Thanks for all you guys do. Another great show. See you. A lot of clapping going on. Thanks, George, for that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, clap for yourself a little, George, will you? Mm-hmm. The, there's yeah. some clapping for George. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you in 2009. Have a great rest of the year.